And I thank you for saying that because it reminded me I had a word of knowledge during uh, worship too. I just felt like um, someone was feeling oppression, but it was manifesting your body somewhere like right here in your chest area, just right around there. But with it, like it felt like just a heaviness and sometimes like hard to take a big breath. Like, you know, you just felt like this weight on you, like you couldn't take a big breath. And so you don't have to put your hand up, but that's you. I just want to pray for you really quick. Father, in Jesus' name, I command that spirit of oppression to lift off of you right now in the name of Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Anybody else has something uh, they felt to share before I go on with the message? All right. Okay, cool. I love Jesus. You know, he's, he's really awesome. If you don't know him, you just know him like in the book, you really need to get to know him in your home and in your heart because he's way better in here than he is in the book. Like in the book, he's pretty amazing. But he's pretty amazing in our lives too, in our hearts. The peace that he brings, the joy he brings, the faith and confidence that he can bring, like the stability he can bring to your home. I mean, you can't put a price tag on what his presence does in your life. It's just, it's amazing. So, all right, I'm going to get on to this. So several weeks ago, I started a series here on uh, steps of dealing with doubt and unbelief. And for those who weren't here, in a ways refresh, I'll have them on the screen for you. Just going to go over them really quick. But it's uh, steps one through five. First, recognize areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives. Step two, realize that doubt and unbelief is sin or missing the mark of God's best. Step three, A, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord, meaning take it to the Lord. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal the believe lie that's associated with that. Step four, renounce our agreement with doubt and unbelief and with those lies. And step five, recite, rehearse, or remember the truth that God gives you. It's a divine exchange. You're giving him the lie in exchange you're receiving God's truth. But just because you hear this truth one time from God doesn't mean it's forever settled in your heart. You have to, it takes time to remember those things. You've heard that lie probably a thousand times. It's going to take a while to get that root in your heart where you can remember the truth. So then uh, at the end of the first week in that series, I had you guys do this exercise where you just wrote down some things that you felt God was saying to you. So if you remember you were here that week, I said write down three to five things you were praying and believing God for. You guys remember that? Those were here? Okay, then you write down reasoned in your mind, not spiritual reason, just reason in your mind that you would think of logically of why those things wouldn't happen. So let's say you, you're, you're praying for a loved one to get saved, or you're praying for financial breakthrough, whatever, it's a healing, whatever it is. But then in your mind, you have this continuous running relay of doubt that comes through your head. Write that down. Like, what, what that is, write that down. So, um, like, if something could go wrong, what would it be? Then I asked you to ask Holy Spirit uh, why you doubt these prayer requests would come to pass. So, in your mind, why you doubt it would happen, and then ask the Holy Spirit why he says we doubt it. Because what we think the reason is, is probably not the same. It could overlap, but it, it, in some ways it would be new. So then we ask Holy Spirit... What do you want us to do about that? Now, you only gave a few minutes to write that down and pray over it. Hopefully, you had time to, you went home and you went over it some more because if your doubt and unbelief is removed, your faith is instantly going to get stronger. Amen? Amen? I'm going to try to do this on this side of the room and then maybe I'll go to the other side of the room. John Bully told me to try this. If you're watching, John, thanks. Amen? Amen. Oh, you guys are louder than these guys now. So, if you get a competition like Hulk Hogan, like, like hey, uh, Amen? If your doubt and unbelief is removed, 
faith will naturally work better. So after a few days after I shared this message, I was home and I uh, heard God say to me, he goes, okay, pastor, um, now it's time to practice what you preached. Like, and instantly I knew what he was talking about. I was like, oh, you mean you want me to? He's like, yeah, okay. So I went downstairs to my office and just started writing some things down. My, I wrote down like, I think it was like nine different things I was believing God for. And uh, I'll share some of these with you. My book being published was one. Wells for all of Uganda was another one. Church growth here, both spiritually and numerically. New, improved buildings here. I have visions and stuff that God's given me for building and increasing this place because I just feel like there's a flood, not only of God's presence like this morning, but there's a flood of people going to come because they're going to be in need of salvation. They're going to be in need of what God has. And I'm not saying this is the only church God's going to be doing that at. I'm just saying it's going to happen here, Okay. Also, a missionary training school where we're going to build a school to send missionaries and train, train them up and raise them up and send them around the world. I mean, these things are just in my heart. And I'm not, I'm not, I didn't ask for them to be in my heart. I didn't ask like this, but I just feel like God wants to do it. You know, we had a plum tree school of boys just down the road here. Uh, and it was actually a really nice building and a lot of good things came out of there. And God wants to do it again. So, uh, and some of the things, other things I wrote were more personal stuff related to my family and everything, but... Uh, and I'm not saying that I doubt those things all the time, uh, those things I'd listed down for prayer. I'm, what I'm saying is the devil tries to tempt me to doubt these things will happen sometimes. Like, that will never happen. How, how could that happen in Plumtree? Or who's going to give you that much money to do wells in all of Uganda? I don't have to know who, and I don't have to know how. I just have to know him. Amen? And you don't have to know the who and the how. You just have to know him. And if we meditate on what he said... We get that rooted and grounded in our heart. Our faith will, God will see us through. So, I wrote these things down, and the reason why they might not happen. And so, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here, just open up and share some stuff. I felt like uh, I wrote down, felt like God was saying to me too, from this. But um, I asked, why did I? Why do I doubt these things will happen? What, what's what's the reason I'm really doubting this stuff? And it had nothing to do with plum tree. It had nothing to do with the population of our area. It had nothing to do with that. It has to do with me. It's, it's me. Like, I'm doubting me. So sometimes I doubt that God would do it for me. Like, he would do it for others, but he wouldn't do it for me. You guys ever been there? Okay, or sometimes I doubt that I'm good enough. It's like self-doubt. Like, am I good enough? Am I, if, if all this happens, am I going to be able to handle all this? Am I going to juggle all this stuff, family and all this too? And sometimes the doubt is, um, so this is basically a summary of what, what I wrote down. God, can we summarize it? But the other one was doubt if I heard God or not. Have you been there? I think I heard God. I'm pretty sure it was God. I think it was God. And so when we doubt it, we're just like, well, I'm not sure if I did or not. And I'm not sure if, uh, if you didn't hear God, then our faith level just will really drop. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you know you heard God, you, it's tough to doubt it when you know you heard, right? So uh, I, and then I asked the Holy Spirit why I doubted these prayers would happen. And I, here's what I journaled. So do you doubt because you have been hearing the lies of the evil one and not combating them with the word of God. When you hear it again and again, it begins to pile up the areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives. Then I saw it was like this conveyor belt, and on this conveyor belt had these little you know, little treads or bars, and they had this dirt or soil on that, and they were spaced out every like th- two to three feet, and there was dirt here, then a space, and dirt here, and it was going up like this, and, and underneath of this conveyor belt, there was a person sitting there on a chair just right underneath of it. And it, this dirt would go all the way up to the top, and it would just fall off the top and land right on that person. And the person didn't look up, 
They didn't look around. They didn't move out of the way. They just sat there and just let this soil just slowly keep dumping on them again and again and again. And God was showing me uh, that this is what happens to myself and others when we hear the lies of the enemy and we don't do anything about it. We hear the accusations of you're no good, you're a loser, you're whatever, or you'll never do this, or you'll never amount to anything, and we don't do anything about it. We're like, we're like the person sitting there in that chair just letting this dirt just be dumped on us and not even, not even moving out of the way, just sitting there. So as I thought about the, the, the summary of the doubts of things that I was feeling, I, I started thinking, you know, these are probably doubts that maybe everybody feels sometimes. You know, like... Uh, like you're not good enough, or God would do it for somebody else, but he might not do it for you, or I'm not sure if I heard God about this. I think I did, but maybe, if I, maybe I didn't. And we start to doubt these things, and God doesn't want us to doubt, amen? But when doubt is left alone and unchecked by the word of God, we are just like that person sitting under that conveyor belt and just letting it pile up and pile up and pile up. Because doubt and unbelief is absolutely connected to temptations, you are tempted to doubt, okay? I don't know if that's a news flash right now, but that you are tempted by the enemy to doubt what God says. It's spiritual warfare. It's part of what we have to go through in life. You're tempted to doubt. Now, let me show you this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So if I'm feeling these things, it's common to man. Possibly you guys have been feeling some of these things too. It says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So these temptations are common to man. The devil is not that creative. He was never called a creator. He's called a perverter. Okay? He's a twister of things. So he wants you to doubt it so you'll live without it. He wants you to doubt it so you feel like, well, how could I ever do that? How could I do that? Well, how could anybody do anything? you think that Billy Graham was really all that good? I mean, he is good. I mean, we see him, for, but, you know, he's a man. And I bet he had a lot of these same feelings that we have sometimes when he's in this stadium and he's preaching to, you know, thousands of people and he's like, oh my gosh, why did you pick me? Moses had those feelings, didn't he? We're all going to have those. We got to push through them. We're going to push through them, though, with the word of God. So then I asked God what he wanted me to do about it. And here's what he said to me. He said, Ryan, these doubts are temptations. You are being tempted to believe these lies. And even in the area of self-doubt, this is a temptation to believe a lie. So Ryan, how you deal with temptations how you, how, is how did I deal with temptations? You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You do not have a testimony without a test. And you pass, pass or overcome these tests by your words. You can say what you feel, hear, and experience, and you can and you'll give in to these temptations. But if you say my words, you will overcome, just like I did in the wilderness. Even in my weakened state from fasting, the word of God was more than enough. I felt weak, I felt hungry, I felt tired, I felt fatigued, but I overcame because my testimony was his testimony. My words were his words. And he said, if you just keep hearing these same things, these same doubts and unbelief, and you don't do anything about it, you are going to feel weak, discouraged, and defeated. You will not actually be weak or lacking courage or defeated, but you will feel that way. You, you, uh, you need to combat these feelings, 
these lies with my truth. So I'm going to come back and share some more about what I journaled with you guys in a minute. But I just want to expand a little bit on temptations and how did Jesus dealt with temptations. How did he deal with it, okay? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. If you remember Luke 4, Jesus was just baptized. He was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So he wasn't led into the wilderness to be tempted. Do you know that? He was led into the wilderness to spend time with his Father. You need to hear that, okay? He wasn't led into the wilderness to be tempted. He just was tempted while he was there. He was tempted during those 40 days of fasting. But that wasn't necessarily just the purpose of it. He was there to fast and spend time with his Father. So verse 2, Luke 4 says, Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when uh, they had ended, he was hungry. Now I'm sure he was hungry long before day 40. Okay? He was hungry long before. He's probably hungry day one, maybe the evening, maybe morning day two. He was hungry. So this story goes on to share three different temptations that uh, was presented to Jesus. But I want to say, verse 2 said, he was actually tempted for 40 days. So I'm sure the devil didn't just come and tempt him with three things. Right? Because Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So these are just three examples of what he was tempted with. He was tempted with everything you can imagine. Everything there is to be tempted with, the Bible says he was tempted with. And that's why you have a great high priest. You can have confidence because he already went through it. And he overcame each temptation with the word of God. Amen? Amen. It wasn't like, well, I'm strong enough. My willpower is good enough. I can just, ah, it's just a little thing. I can handle that on my own. Ah, Like I'm going to do that. Every temptation Jesus faced. He combated it with the Word of God. If you are still taking the temptations as just logical and reasonable and not understanding they're spiritual and you have to fight spiritual things with spiritual weapons, we're going to lose some of these battles that we can easily win with the sword of the Spirit. Amen? we got to recognize it. So Jesus was tempted in every way but didn't sin. Let's pick this up again now in verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So in one of these 40 days, or most likely on multiple days during this 40 days of being hungry, he was tempted to turn a rock into some bread. He was tempted to eat. Okay? He was tempted to break his fast, disobey God, and eat some food. Okay, have you guys ever fasted before? Were you tempted to eat? Oh, heck yeah. Oh yeah, every single time. I, every time I've fasted, I've, I've definitely felt tempted. And there'll be that, that day I didn't tell Holly or I didn't tell my mom back before. And, and it'll be like, she cooked my favorite meal. Like, oh man, I smell that pot roast. Or I smell that, like, oh man, I wish I would have told you. But I was trying to you know, be more spiritual and don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing kind of thing. But I remember one time I went to this pastor's conference and I was doing a 21-day Daniel fast, and uh, so you can't eat, you know, meat and, and different things. And so we get get there, and they had this huge smorgasbord of food, and they had this massive plate, like probably this big of chicken wings, just oh man, like the, man, I love chicken wings. If you guys know, like I, I love those things. I could have had as many as them as I wanted to. Like after it was over, there was still a whole big pile of them, and I was like, I started feeling the saliva start to go in the back of my throat, and I'm like, oh man, no, I want that chicken. I want that, I want that chicken, man. I want to bite that chicken. And uh, 
<laughs> and uh, I'm being tempted to what? To break my fast. I'm being tempted. My flesh is being tempted to do that and not obey God. And Jesus was tempted that exact same way like we are. When he's fasting, he's there alone, didn't have a support group or anyone else. He's there with his father, and he was tempted to eat. So fortunately, praise God, that day, I did not eat the chicken wings. I've had plenty since, but I didn't that day. I didn't break the fast. So, uh, But disobeying God is a common temptation, and so is food. Food is a common temptation. Uh, Adam and Eve were tempted with food in the garden, weren't they? Jesus is tempted with food right here while he's fasting, and we're tempted with food too, not just when we're fasting, but all the time. So um, verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but there isn't a mountain on the planet that you can go to that you can see all the kingdoms of the world in one moment. Okay, this is some kind of spiritual encounter that Jesus had. Now, whether he was in his body or out of his body, like Paul talked about, we don't know that. But somehow, he went with the devil somewhere where he's seeing all the kingdoms and their power at once. So that's a pretty cool thing. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. This wasn't just worship for him, it was worship him. It wasn't like him worship, worship his father before him, it was worship him instead of the father. Verse 8, And Jesus answered said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the devil is trying to tempt Jesus here to take a shortcut. To take a shortcut. Jesus knew he was born to die. He was born to give his life as a sacrifice, a ransom for many. And he was tempted to take a shortcut because the authority that uh, Adam had in the garden was lost and the devil got it at that time. He says he has it. It was given to him. Just We just read that. And he, the devil's telling him, if you bow down to me, I'll give it all back to you. You won't have to. I don't know if the devil knew about, it doesn't sound like he knew about the whole death, resurrection thing. He might have knew about the death, but I don't know. He definitely didn't know about the resurrection. But anyway, he was tempted to take a shortcut and forfeit the plans of God and do it his own way. Now, aren't we tempted to do that sometimes? We have a call of God in our life, and, or we have something we know God's calling us to do, and we want to take a shortcut. Have you ever taken shortcuts? Sometimes they work, but sometimes you get lost worse than you were before. And, uh, but he, wanted, he was tempted him to worship him, worship him, give, and give him all that he had, just worship him. But he doesn't ever, the devil doesn't ever tell you the bad things that happens in these temptations. He just like he shows you the shortcuts. He shows you the benefits. If you do this, then all of this stuff will be yours. But he didn't tell him that he'd also become the devil's servant. You know, he said here, uh, what did Jesus say here? He said, get behind me, Satan, for his written, worship the Lord your God only, and, serve, and him only shall you serve. No mention of serving was going on before that. But Jesus knew what this implied. If I worship him, I'm now his servant. I'm now going to be serving him. And that's what Romans uh, 16, 15 says. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? If he would have bowed down and worshipped the devil, he would have become slave, a slave of the one that he obeyed. So the devil, he has a way of presenting stuff all nice. Like it, your life will be so good if you do it this way. It will work out so good if you do it that way. But he doesn't show you the strings that are attached. 
He doesn't show that you're going to become a servant of the one that you obey. He doesn't show you how he's really after is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He just tries to make it look all good. He's trying to entice us with these things, but if you give the devil an inch, he takes a mile. He doesn't play fair. Amen? So uh, the one we obey is the one we serve. So we're often tempted to take shortcuts. It's a common temptation, isn't it not? And in life, there really isn't good shortcuts. The best things in your life, you're going to learn them the hard way. You're going to learn through life and experiences and challenges. You're going you're gonna to learn and grow, and hopefully you won't forget. <laughs> you're going to remember it. Right? But there aren't really, there, when the kingdom of God, there are no shortcuts. It's going to lead you to serving. It's going to lead you to giving. It's going to lead you to following and laying down your life for, for him. Let's go on to uh, number nine, verse nine. And then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So here again, he does this supernatural traveling. Do you see that? Just want to point that out because I think it's cool. That's the only point of that. He's in the wilderness, and next you know, he's in Jerusalem. He's on the temple, okay? Yeah, I told you he was cool. Uh, verse 10, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And, uh, uh, and in their hands they shall, shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So here the devil is trying to get Jesus to prove that he's the Messiah. He's trying to get him to prove and get him to move into pride and in proving something. You ever have someone try to do that to you? Oh, yeah, you think you, he says, uh, Oh, you can't do that. What do you mean? I can't do that? I'll show you. I can do that. What happened there? You just switched into pride mode, right? You can't, you can't whether it's sports or anything, you can't, you can't do that. And so he was challenging him, trying to get him to move into pride. And each of us have been tempted to that, for sure, right? So uh, Jesus would have spent, had to spend a lot of time in the Word, actually in the Torah, because all, all three of these temptations he was tempted with all three of them, he came back with scriptures. So he had to spend time in the scripture so he would have the scripture in his heart to come out of his mouth instantly when the temptation arose. And all three of these temptations came from the Torah, it came from the book of Deuteronomy. So he studied the word. He was the word. He became flesh, and then he studied the word. Amen? I'm thinking if Jesus needed to study the word... I'm thinking if Jesus needed to speak the word when he's tempted, there's a good chance we might need to speak the word when we're being tempted too. Amen? I think it's, it's prideful for us to think, well, I just, I just have excellent self-control. I, I just, it is a fruit of the Spirit, you know. I, I, just, I know I can handle this on my own. I'm telling you, do you think Jesus had the fruit of the Spirit called self-control in his life? I would guess that he did, since the fruit are of the Spirit, and he is the Spirit, right? So uh, I would guess yes. But yet, he still confessed the word every time against that temptation. Every time. We only see three examples, but he was tempted for 40 days, and on all different ways and different things. I'm telling you, in your life, you're tempted to look at something you shouldn't look at. You're tempted to watch a movie you shouldn't look at, you shouldn't watch. You're tempted to do something that's not godly. You can try self-control, and you'll you probably, you probably win a few times. You'll probably get it. But I'm telling you, you need to be like Jesus. We sing those songs. I'm telling you, you want to be like Jesus? Confess the word. Put the word. 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And when you hide that word in your heart, guess what's going to come out when you're tempted? The word. It's like you're so full of it, the word, that you're like a glass full of water, you get bumped. That's what's going to spill out. But if you're carrying chaos and stress, that's what's going to spill out when you're bumped also. Be so filled with the word that when you're tempted, you can say, like Jesus, it is written, I will worship the Lord my God only, and him only will I serve. Okay? I want to highlight this third temptation and show you where this came from. Third temptation about worshiping the devil. Jesus quoted this actually from Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. So I want to show you what happened in, in Massa. I'll just, I'll just tell you some of this. They were traveling through the wilderness, and, and they came to a spot where there wasn't any water. And they got upset with Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die? My cattle are dying. My animals are thirsty. My kids are, are complaining. I need water. And they're grumbling, complaining to Moses. And then Moses goes to God, like, why did you give me these people? They're wanting to stone me. It says, I think, in verse 4, somewhere in there. They're going to they're gonna kill me. They want to stone me because I can't give them water. And he's like, how am I going to do this? And so he tells them, get the elders to follow you. Walk on up ahead. Stand on this, this rock called Mount Horeb. Take your staff that you use to separate the Red Sea. Take that staff. And when you get there, I want you to smite this rock. And that water is going to come out of that rock which is a foreshadow of Christ, if you read into the New Testament. But, so he does that. He goes ahead, leads the people. Can you imagine that day? You're the leader of these millions of people. What are you going to do, Moses? I'm going to walk up ahead here a little bit, and I'm going to find this rock called Horeb, and I'm going to smack it with this stick. What's that going to do? What, we're dying of thirst here. We need water. Guys, I'm just doing what God told me to do. You think Moses looks stupid in their eyes? Absolutely. He must have thought he was an idiot. You know, sometimes when God asks you to do something, you might look like an absolute idiot to somebody else. But in God's eyes, they're like, man, that's my boy right there. That's my son right there. He trusts me. And so Moses goes on. He strikes the rock. But I want you to see how, what God said about this place in verse 7. So he called the name of that place Massa in Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? So this is the verse that Jesus quoted. The context of the verse Jesus quoted, he was tempted to worship the devil. Okay? Is the Lord really among us or not? And I want to tell you that you are tempted to worship the devil too. You are tempted to say in your heart, Is the Lord really with me or not? Are you not? All temptations are common to man, so I'm just saying, you had felt it, I felt it, they felt it. Um, is God for you? Is he going to help you? He helped you in the past, but is he really going to come through this time? Is he, or maybe he's mad at me for this, or he's not going to show up for that. And we're tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. We're tempted to believe a perversion of the reality of God's truth and goodness in our lives. Okay, so that was the context of Jesus quoting this. So I want to show you, Massa means temptation or to test. And Meribah means strife or contention. The Israelites were already filled with strife and contention, but it came to an head when they had no water. You want to hear us complain? Take away our food. Take away our water. What do you think we're going to say? We won't be, well, some of us maybe have matured enough to be like, praise God. But after a few days, like, where is the water? Where is the food? 
right? We can judge the Israelites so easily here, but I'm telling you, we would be doing the same thing. Hopefully we'd be in the Joshua-Caleb camp, uh, but we, I don't know. I don't know. If, if we complain at restaurants, I think we're going to complain in the wilderness. If we're complaining, I mean, if your wife's cooking or you're cooking or something, we're going to complain there when there's nothing. Oh, this water tastes bad. I mean, I'm just saying it's human nature. But verse 7 says, they tempted the Lord. So remember, Deuteronomy 6, 16 said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. So this is the context which Jesus was quoting this verse from. So what did the Israelites do wrong here? What did they, what did they do? How did they tempt the Lord? Okay, I want to just show you this a little bit. And, and also in Numbers 14, if you remember that story, after the, the uh, spies investigated the land and came back, it, God was mad. He was ready to kill them all, if you remember the story. I think that might be what he's tempted the Lord to do is kill them all. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, it says, They have tested me or tempted me ten times now. Ten times. But I want to point out James 1, 13, 14 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So Exodus said the people, were temp- the people tempted the Lord. Numbers said they tempted the Lord uh, ten times. James says here that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So which one of these things is true? Is God contradicting himself here? The answer is no, so you know. But when you, when you read the Word sometimes and you come across these things, you have to study it out to find out, because it looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? It looks like, is he tempted, is he not tempted? Does he tempt, is he not tempted? God, uh, let me show you this, read this to you here. James 1, 13, 14, excuse me, seems to contradict what the scriptures say in two respects. One, that God cannot be tempted by evil, and two, he himself tempts no man. But God tempted or tried Abraham. Do you remember that? Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried or tempted, offered up Isaac, and he, and he had received the promise, offered up his only begotten son. And the Israelites tempted God, which we just read. We also see it in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, 9. It says, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents, as one of those ten times they tempted him. So what is God saying here? Is he contradicting himself? Does he tempt? Does he not tempt? Is he tempted? Well, I want to show you what this word means, tempted. It's, it means to test, to try, to attempt, a trial, not a trial of a courtroom, but like trial and error or a trial test run at something, to prove, to put to the, to put to the proof, or put to the test. This word, the verb for this word in the Hebrew is nasa, and it has nothing to do with our space program in the United States here. Uh, but it's a totally different word, but it's in the Bible 36 times. And in most contexts, NASA has the idea of testing or proving the quality of someone or something, often through adversity or hardship. The rendering to tempt, used frequently in the King James Version, generally means to prove, test, put to the test, rather than the current English idea of enticing to do wrong. So the, the main meaning of it is not necessarily enticing to do wrong, but to put you to the test to prove you. They're two different things. They're two different words. So, yes, God can test us, but he will not entice you to do evil. And yes, uh, God can be tested, but he's never going to be enticed to do evil. Do you see that? And that's how those scriptures balance out and not contradict. I want to show you this, Deuteronomy 13.3. 
It says, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet. This is referring to a false prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. So this false prophet came along with a false dream or a false interpretation or something. And he says, God allowed that person to be around you to test your heart, to test you. So he does test. James 1, 2 through 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There's a word everybody loves, right? The testing of your faith. Is it a test? See, there is no testimony without a test. The testing of your faith is what produces patience. The testing, it's te- he does test us because he's trying to build something in us. He's trying to produce something in us. And look at what verse 4 says, the next verse. It says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now there's a verse that would preach, huh? Everyone loves to hear about patience, right? But it says here, patience needs to have its perfect work in us, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Your lacking nothing is going to come through faith and patience. And the Bible says we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. And we have to let the patience of God work our way in us so that we can let his, his faith have his perfect work in us, his patience have his perfect work in us. Now, uh, you know why those people started fussing in Massa? They got impatient. They got thirsty. That's why they started to speak evil of God. Is God really going to give us water? Is he for us or not, Moses? Come on, tell us already. Where is the water? Where's the stuff that we need? So these things uh, that we receive, and these things we'll never receive unless our faith is tested. We need our faith and our patience working together. We need to allow patience to have its perfect work because it is working something in us and is working something out of us. It's working doubt and unbelief out of us. It's working faith into us. And once it's complete, the Bible says, we will lack nothing. Did you notice that? I'm not going to define nothing because I'm pretty sure it still means nothing. You will lack nothing, but it's going to come through faith and patience. Amen? Don't shut me down because I'm preaching good. I know everyone loves the patient thing. But God has a purpose sometimes in our delays. The things we're asking God for, and we want to have it like we're going through a drive through restaurant, and we're just boom, 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 and it all happens. What kind of test is that? What kind of, what kind of patience is that? What, what is that going to work in us, that he's a slot machine? He's just going to just boom, boom. He will give you these things, but faith and patience have to work together because he's working something out of me, something out of you. It's called doubt and unbelief. And he's working something into me, and it's called faith. Faith is not like a eeny, meeny, miny, moe or the, the faith lottery, a hope, I get it. Faith is absolute. Faith is a law. Faith is God's word. It's a law. It's a principle that God will not violate, but we have to do things God's way. Amen. Let's go back to the master story. I'll, I'll finish with this. But Exodus 77. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because he because of contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Again, we are tempted to do the same thing. Uh, We get a bad report from the doctor. We get a bill we weren't expecting. We have something come up in our life. Oh God, where are you? Is the Lord with me or is he not? And you know, when we do that, we are tempting the Lord or testing the Lord. 
He, I'm not saying he's going to strike you dead because he, thank you, Jesus, uh, he died for us. Amen? But he was very tempted to do that in the Old Testament. And we can see many times he told Moses, I'm going to kill them all, and I'm going to start over with your family, and I'll bless your family, I'll bless your seed, I'll make a whole new nation out of you. And Moses is like, okay, God, but don't, don't forget, what are, the, what are the Egyptians going to say when they realize you couldn't do what you said you were going to do? Okay, I won't kill them this time. <laughs> uh, praise God for Jesus. He's our, uh, the one that goes between now. But um, we all are like Moses. We all can feel like those people like, come on, Moses, where's the water? Come on, God, where's this? Where's, where's this? Where's, I've been praying for this for 10 years, five years, whatever years. Come on, God. And we can, we can have the same thing. It wasn't so much they needed water. They need, of course, he wasn't mad that they needed water. We need water to live, and God knows we need water to live. They can only live so many days without water, and their animals too. It was their attitude and the way they said it. It's like, come on, Moses, is God with us or not? And they were sarcastic, and they were rude, and they were uh, mocking, and they put God to the test. And guys, when we do that with our attitudes and things, where are you, God? Are you there? Are you not there? When we do this, we're doing the same thing they did. Your, your faith is going to be tested, whether you want it to be or not, amen? But we wise will understand how it works, because some of the things you're praying for are going to take faith and patience. I wish it was different for me, too. I wish it was different sometimes. But God has a bigger picture in, in, in his mind, not just of getting you what you're praying for, but getting something out of you to put something in you to make you stronger than you ever were before. Amen. I'm going to um, go. I mentioned I'm going to go back to my journal reading. I'm going to close with this. But so going back to these temptations of doubting if I'm good enough, doubting if God will, is with us or not, or do for me what he will do for others, and doubting if I heard God. I heard him say, James 4 7. So and it says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself, therefore, to me. Submit yourself, therefore, to my word. You resist him with my word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Temptations are spiritual battles. They feel natural, but they are spiritual. And you overcome them with spiritual weapons. Then I went to uh, James, or excuse me, Ephesians 6.13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You be able to withstand in the day of evil, or having done all to stand. And the next verse says, stand, therefore. So we fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons, which is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Above all, it says the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and praying in the spirit. Those are all seven things uh, consist and make up the armor of God. If you want to win spiritual war battles, we have to fight with spiritual weapons. It's be like going... Uh, bringing a bow and arrow to a gunfight, or that Indiana Jones scene where the guy comes in with the, the big sword and then Indiana just shoots him with a gun. I mean, you come with a, come with a gun, to, it's, you come into a, a spiritual fight with carnal weapons or your own self-effort control, it's gonna, not going to do you any good. But if you bring the spiritual armor of God with you, you are designed to win. You are designed for victory. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror through Christ. But we have to do things the way that he wants us to do them. Amen? And it's with these weapons. I'm going to read this um, last part here that God spoke to me. 
I asked him, what is the belt of truth? And he said, Ryan, the belt of truth is a piece of military equipment that helps you hold everything in its proper place. Without the belt of truth, the other pieces will not be where they need to be when you need them. You must be grounded and founded on the word of truth. Without truth, how will your breastplate of righteousness work or fit right? It will be like wearing someone else's armor. Without truth, how will you have peace to go and share the gospel? Without truth, how will your shield of faith work? Without truth, how will your helmet work to protect your brain and mind from attacks? Without truth, how will you use the sword of the Spirit? And without truth, how will you pray in the Spirit? Guys, these temptations are spiritual, again, and we need spiritual weapons to win these wars. So if we don't, if we just hear these temptations, we just hear this doubt and unbelief, these accusations of the enemy over our lives, Again, we're liking that person sitting under that conveyor belt and just letting that stuff dump on us again and again and again and again until we feel this discouragement and this heavy weight of being defeated. But if you move out of the way of that and you put on the full armor of God and do the things he asks us to do, it will be a totally different story. You are designed to win. You are designed for victory. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's against rulers, principalities, and powers in heavenly places, and we can't fight them with guns and bows and arrows and willpower and self-control. We fight and we win with the spirit and the, the armor of God that he gave us. Amen. 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 Why don't you guys stand? I'm going to pray a prayer blessing on you guys. If Jesus needed the sword of the Spirit, if Jesus needed to confess the word out of his mouth when he was tempted, we need to do the same thing, amen? amen? And therefore, we need to hide God's word in our hearts that we won't sin against God and also so that when the temptation comes, the first thing out of our mouth is not, oh me, or is God really for me, or is God really with me, but the first thing out of your mouth is the word of God. The first thing out of your mouth is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Amen? And you're like, Pastor, that sounds like a lot of work. Well, it's going to take effort, that's for sure. Amen? Jesus had to study the Word, and we have to too, if we're going to be able to fight these battles. So God, I thank you for the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but they are spiritual, and they are powerful and mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. God, I thank you. You have not destined us to lose but to win, and to fight the good fight of faith. And Lord, I just pray today you would um, just encourage us and challenge us to move out from under that conveyor belt of accusations, of belittlement, of we're no good and we can't do it and God wouldn't do it for me and all those kind of lies and doubt and unbelief. We move out of the way and combat those thoughts, those high things with the word of God. Let God be true and everything else we hear a lie. Father, I pray blessing on each one here. I thank you for them. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, guys. Love you. God bless you. You are dismissed and empowered to win. Amen. Have a great day.